Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast, where we help supplement and functional food brands create better products. Today's host is Sandy Almendares, Content Director. And welcome to a Healthy Insider Podcast. I'm Sandy, and I'm excited to have Jim Emmy on the phone. He is the CEO at Now Foods Health Group. Hi, Jim. Hi, Sandy. We are going to be talking about challenges in the botanical ingredient supply chain and how manufacturers can help create change to help improve the supply chain. Uh, Jim will be speaking on this topic at our Supply Side East trade show in Secaucus, New Jersey on Tuesday, April 21st at 12.30 to 1 p.m. So we are going to preview that presentation. I'm sure many of you know Jim, but he has been a member of the NOW management team since 1995, initially as chief of operations and as president since 2014. Jim has a food science education and decades of experience in the design and management of food manufacturing and distribution operations. Jim's industry leadership positions included the Natural Products Association Board of Directors, Alliance for Natural Health, and the Economic Development Authority of Western Nevada. Before all that, Jim was a farm boy from Indiana. So, Jim, in your experience, how much of a problem is botanical ingredient adulteration in the health and nutrition industry? Well, thank you for the opportunity today, Sandy. I I really appreciate it. Uh, The the botanical ingredients uh, have always had an element of of, uh, adulteration in the 25 years that I've been in this industry and also at the prior food companies where we did use botanical ingredients. Uh, I just don't think we all, as manufacturers, understood how prevalent it could be. Uh, As standards of identity for testing improve, as testing methods improve, as uh, the ability to detect uh, the sensitivity of the equipment improves, uh, the problem becomes more and more prevalent. Uh, We certainly see it popping up now more than ever. Uh, but it could be directly related to the fact that we're better at what we do in our testing capabilities. So currently, what is the process that most manufacturers follow when they reject raw material due to adulteration? Well, typically, uh, the process is followed is uh, one can get a pre-shipment sample of, of an ingredient and uh, test it, but you always have to test each lot that comes in. Uh, to, to meet the requirements of uh, Deshay and the CGMP set forth from that. And typically what happens is it, it meets your specifications, it meets the criteria, it passes identification testing. And uh, once it does that, uh, then the lot can get release, released to be used in uh, the compounding or uh, blending or uh, dosage of, of a product. What will happen, though, if it is rejected or doesn't meet specs, typically what companies will do is you'll retest just to make sure that there there wasn't a mistake made in the testing. However, if it does fail to meet the specs, typically what happens is the vendor will be notified about it, and uh, some vendors accept the test results, others don't, so others don't. Then a discussion is done and uh, an agreement is made to return the material to a, a vendor and, and, and going through. And one, one 
challenge to that is if it's a, if it's a product that's not adulterated but just doesn't meet the physical characteristics of a spec, or it's a, not not at a, a level uh, uh, chemically that uh, biochemically that is in a specification sheet. It typically isn't a problem to return it. It's, it may meet the specs of another manufacturer. Where the challenge comes into is, uh, is ethically, is it proper to return a product that we know has been contaminated or counterfeited or uh, any, any other means misrepresented? And, and the challenge is, and this, this has been discussed for years, that if, if a manufacturer does that, well, what if it's sent to another manufacturer who doesn't have the testing capabilities or isn't being in, in, uh, uh, as vigilant as, as many companies are? And what, what that challenge is, then consumers are eventually going to get exposed to something that is not what it's claimed to be. Uh, so the problem statement today is that, and the challenge that, that we're, we've asked ourselves internally, but also working with the uh, uh, the American Botanical Council, uh, the Center of Excellence at Old Miss with the Eclos Cons Group, as well as UNPA and APA and, and CRN and MPA, is what should we do? So our point of view is that, you know, it's time for a change. And it's going to be a difficult change for us as a company, but also probably for the industry as well. So that that's the problem statement we see it is. Does one, if one finds a product, sure you need to report the adulteration, but should should we be returning those materials in place? Is there a way to know or to even estimate how many times a botanical ingredients could be returned? Um, I mean, I'm not in the manufacturing space, so I'm not sure, but I imagine that these ingredients would degrade over time and lose their their effectiveness because they are. You know, botanical products, they can expire, so to speak. So, I mean, can things just be rejected and sent back and rejected and sent back until, you know, someone finally accepts it? Yeah, so that certainly is probably the norm today in the supply chain and and from the supply side to manufacturers. Uh, our perspective, we can only speak for ourselves, but uh, our perspective is that uh, that, well, that was our process up until a, about a year ago when we started challenging ourselves on that and, and really being uh, one of the early adopters of, uh, of ABC's uh, Botanical Adulteration Prevention Program. Uh, gosh, estimating it, I'd, I'd probably say that uh, uh, perhaps one or two times a month out of the thousands of ingredients that we use have, have we returned them in years past. Um, typically, it's not the case. I've, I've found that uh, vendors rise to the expectations you set for them. And once they learn that you're not going to accept the substandard product, they typically will, will the reputable ones will come around and uh, take care of the problem. Uh, so that uh, you, you don't end up having rejections and you don't end up doing returns. Um, however, you know, for uh, whatever reasons, a, a, a vendor or or the the original uh, processor of a botanical product, either doing an extraction method or uh, uh, doing a, the pure herb or the aerial part or the root part. Um, you know, there are certain motivations, uh, clearly economic motivations are the biggest ones. Uh, there'll be a, a, a change in a, a component of a, a botanical ingredient. 
But I'd, I'd say our own experience, it, it could be anywhere from I don't know, 15 to 40 products a year that we would return in such a manner. It's it's definitely not the norm. We do 16,000 tests a month. So the good news is our, our, our supply side is typically uh, uh, working with us on things. But when it comes to an adulterated product, I'd probably say it's on the lower side per year. Uh, but uh, in years past that we've seen anywhere from 10 to 15. And I imagine as now has stopped sending materials back that uh, it's getting lower. Yeah, and we're in a transition process right now. One of, one of the challenges is, of course, this is especially if a, a vendor is a broker and not the uh, original processor or sourcing uh, uh, agent. Uh, you know, as we set up our standards with uh, geospotting for where the botanical was grown, as we set up our standard for uh, the uh, proper processing and, and materials and also the test methods, and, and we've had a lot of help with Roy, from Roy Upton at American Herbal Pharmacopeia on, on looking at our methods, uh, we do see that we are finding it, it more and more. Uh, one, one of the challenges is typically, and we view it as adulteration, some may want to uh, debate this topic, but for example, well, we recently had a peppermint oil that had a, uh, a replacement contaminant in it, and the component showed up in our testing, and we double-tested, we checked, sent it out to a third-party lab, and we found out that they had replaced part of the peppermint components with a lower quality, lower cost, uh, uh, really a, a, almost like an aggressive weed that would emulate uh, the peppermint oil, but it was not true peppermint oil. And to us, that's pure adulteration. Uh, so that's probably one of the most recent ones that we've been through. And uh, we are we are planning on, on destroying that. Uh, we can't sell it to anybody else. It's a pretty big number in six figures. Uh, but you know what? You've got to choose to do the right things for the right reasons. And uh, ven vendors get very nervous when we talk about this. And really, it's a training process that has to take place internally within our company and as well as with our vendors. And one of the big things that, that companies will have to do if, as they head this way is setting up supply agreements. It's key to communicate it up front. We just don't want to catch a vendor off guard and say, oh, wow, we've just changed our rules. What what was good before is no longer good anymore. We want to communicate expectations to them. Recall earlier I mentioned that we found that vendors will rise to the expectations we set for them. And, and that does hold true in the majority of the cases. Um, so the key thing of it is, is to set the expectations up front that, look, if we come across adulteration, uh, we we will at some point destroy the product. We're not going to send it back, and we will bill you for that, um, or we just won't pay for the invoice. Uh, that that one's a, one that some vendors are having a tough time wrapping their arms around. But you you know what, Sandy? Most most vendors are saying, okay, tell me more about this. How can we work together on this? Gee, I I I really understand the value of it, and it's great, but. Uh, uh, what is the process that gets us to this point? Can we appeal? Can we uh, uh, do our own test to to make sure that it, that we're convinced that it's it's improper as well? 
And, and that communication is really where a lot of good things come out of. And so far, you know, we're having a good experience with it. But it does take time. Uh, even some of our own procurement people have, have been challenged with this. They've got vendor relationships that some of them for 30 or 40 years. And they said, wow, I've been working with the supplier for so long. I've never had a problem. Now you're telling me it could be a problem. So uh, it's it, it makes everybody uncomfortable when we talk about this. But as we find common ground through the expectations, it actually isn't that tough and isn't it, that isn't that difficult. The challenge of it is getting other companies to sign on to this. And, you know, we're, we're so fortunate that we're in a business that uh, uh, we're, we're trying to help people support their personal goals. Uh, you know, it's, you know, we as a company now believe uh, for nutritional purposes, there's exercise, there's good nutrition in your diet. And then, by the way, you can supplement to help with things uh, to support your goals. But you, you can't, there are no bad magic bullets. The problem of it is, even when consumers want to buy a natural product to, or a dietary supplement to support their goals, they have to be able to trust us as an industry that what's on the label is really what's in the product. And that's so fundamental to anything that we're doing. And when we make that case to the, the supply side and the vendors, uh, we get no pushback at all on it. Everybody everybody that we've seen is in agreement on it. And those who aren't, well, we just don't want to do business with them. The challenge of it is if there are manufacturers who aren't being vigilant, who aren't putting a stake in the ground, there will always be an outlet for the unscrupulous vendors to sell substandard products to. And we we feel as an industry that we all ought to work together to address that and once we get fully aligned, then all of a sudden the supply chain will get fully aligned because they'll understand that that's, that's the, the bar that they have to get over to uh, provide high-quality ingredients to our industry. So speaking of that alignment, um, what work is the Botanical Adulterations Protection Program doing to prevent adulterated materials from reentering the marketplace? And, and how can brands help achieve this initiative? Well, the, the first thing of it is, I, I, there's been a lot of great work on it. Uh, about three years ago, Mark Blumenthal, uh, the longtime head of uh, American Botanical Council, got a group of manufacturers together at, at, at the MBJ Summit and said, you know, we really need to put a stake in the ground on this. And, and Mark had talked to me about it and, and several others. I know uh, Christine Burdick-Bell of uh, Pharmavite has, has done some outstanding work, Michael Levin as well as from a consulting side. Uh, uh, they've really worked hard to put together some documents that we've also reviewed and others in the industry have reviewed to set up templates for these supplier ingredients and to set up the rules uh, from which this process would work. Uh, so that that's been that became quickly the botanical adulteration protection program. Now the the documents aren't fully complete yet; they're still being worked on. But we, as a company, adopted many of the principles to incorporate into our supply agreement and, and new supply agreements that we've established and are rolling out. 
So that that is one way I would urge other manufacturers to get involved in this and look at what the BAPP is all about. Um, there's some really good work that's gone into this. And if it's a standardized method that people can at least adopt the main principles of, even if they don't want to use these documents, all of a sudden we've got some pretty good alignment in place in our industry. And, you know, it's uh, the other thing that they can do is to help fund this, but the the industry or the industry efforts through the B, BAPP. But the biggest place is be curious, ask questions, see what this is all about, learn from it. And and then look at it and, and talk to other companies like ourselves uh, and other participants in the BAPP program, and they can find out how they can make a difference to really support the entire industry's goal of being authentic, truthful, uh, transparent, as well as helping consumers meet their goal through supplementation along with their other uh, personal efforts to to improve their lives and to lead healthier lives. Uh, it's a great opportunity for everybody. It, it may seem scary at first to have such a drastic change, but again, as we communicated and as we rolled out with our, our own experience, it's been easier than we thought it would be. That said, though, uh, just as ourselves as a company, we have uh, thousands of, of vendors with thousands of ingredients. So. It's a lot of work for our supply chain and quality people to get in place, but we feel it's worthwhile, and uh, it's going to make our industry better, and it'll it'll make all our brands better. Great. Well, thank you so much. I really applaud the work that you and your colleagues are doing at the BAPP, so thank you for that. Well, you're very welcome, Sandy, and thank you for the opportunity today. And for those listening who want to hear more from Jim, he will be speaking on Tuesday, April 21st at 1230 to 1 p.m. at Supply Site East in Secaucus, New Jersey. Thank you for listening to a Healthy Insider podcast, now available on Apple Podcasts or through Google Play. Subscribe now to never miss an episode.